Would you open God's precious holy word to 1 Peter chapter 4? We'll be in verses 7 through 11 today. Living with a view to the end. We have no guarantee of tomorrow. Charles and I were made keenly aware of that this past week. Someone we both know and have become endeared to tragically and suddenly lost his life in an accident. It's hard to shake the feelings that you get when it seems that someone was so tragically and untimely taken. I hasten to say that every life is fulfilled according to the divine purpose of God. But sometimes we, we lack understanding and the Lord will help us in the by and by to understand that all is to his glory. But there is no guarantee of tomorrow. It seems, and I speak from experience, it seems that the older one gets, the shorter the days are. I'll tell you this, I have quit measuring my life by days. Here's what I do. I have to roll out the trash every Monday. And all of a sudden it's Monday again. And I think to myself, well, I've lived to another trash rollout. And I wonder how many trash rollouts I have left. And I think about that, you know. I don't get out much, so that's the best I can do. Um, I remember when I was in high school, it didn't seem like I was ever going to get out of high school. And some of us were talking this morning. It was, it was more than 20 years ago we went to Key West, and then we've been here 17 years plus. I'm going to have to start. My life now is measured. This is my fifth church. I guess I'm going to have to measure my life by churches uh, more than anything else. We don't have a guarantee of tomorrow. What would you do? How would you live if you absolutely knew that this was your last day on earth in this physical life? What would you do? This is sort of the tone that Peter is taking now as he continues giving the admonition to the Christians who are, have fled from Rome and they've gone east to the eastern portion of uh, the empire. We've been looking at all of the instructions that he's been giving to them, the encouragements, so forth. So we've come to this part. This is the next thing. Peter says to them. So let's look at it together. Number one, the end of all things is near. So let's look at verse seven. The end of all things is near or at hand. Now let me go up here. Uh, the end, telos, telos, it means is coming to its fulfillment. It's coming, it's coming to its full maturity. The end of all things. 
Uh, you know, of course that speaks of the age of the church. We, we know that we have this period of time, and we taught this in the Bible, the era, the time, the dispensation of the church begins at Pentecost. In my view, it ends at the rapture, which initiates then the seven years of tribulation. So in the New Testament, there is this general reference to how we're, we're, we're living in the completion of the fulfillment or the maturity of an era, the eras of time. Paul writes about us, those of us upon whom the ends of all things have, the end of all things have come. Well, in one sense, this is the time of the church. We live in a glorious age. We can preach the gospel and reach out to everybody anywhere. We are not restricted um, by, by the Torah. Uh, we're not restricted by bloodline or language or, or anything. We are operating under the Great Commission and we're to go out everywhere. To all people, everywhere. We start where we are in our Jerusalem and then we work our way out from there. We talked about that not long ago. And we keep going out from there until we can't go anywhere else. And in the era, in the time, in the age of the church, we have seen the word of God translated into practically all of the known languages. We've seen missionary efforts go throughout the world. And we studied last time about how you wouldn't be there if God hadn't opened the door. So it's obviously the purpose of God for missionaries to be wherever they are. Otherwise, they wouldn't be there. So it's the, it's the open door that the Lord sets as he writes to the Philadelphians in the Revelation. Look, I've set before you an open door and nobody's going to shut this door. I'll open a door. No one can shut it. I'll shut a door. Nobody can open it. I have the keys. David, well, it's, it's expanding the kingdom and this is our work. But we also have to be sober and understand that the freedom of the preaching of the gospel and the way the Holy Spirit operates through the church today everywhere someday will come to a close. And the Holy Spirit of God, of course, is God. He's, he's never not there. But how he operates in the church, preaching the gospel of Christ freely everywhere so that everyone can hear. We, we don't know whom God will save, but we know this much. We have to preach to all of them, and we want all of them to be saved. And we have this encumbrance. We have this commission. We have this burden to preach the gospel to every creature. And now when we have preached the gospel to every creature as far as we can, and we have this one life, this one lifetime, this one era in which we live today, my generation, for example. And I don't know, the Lord may call us up. He may catch us up from among the dead and call us out from among the living and through rapture and resurrection, bring an end to the time of the church and things then are drastically different in the time of the tribulation. So we have this, they don't move as freely because the operation of the Holy Spirit operates in this way 
where as far as the preaching of the gospel goes, we're unrestrained in the sense of the spirit, the Holy Spirit in preaching to everybody. And we, we, we translate it into other languages and we pray to God that whatever we're doing, we may not be there to see whatever God will do with it, but we just trust God that it's going out because it's his will and according to his purpose and he is doing what he will do and we're doing what we will do as far as we can. But there's this ominous teaching that the church is, now this is my view. The church, the era, the age, the dispensation, the time of the church is the best of all of it. They didn't, they didn't preach the gospel like we do in the Old Testament. They didn't reach out into other nations and across the world. They didn't have exactly that kind of commission. They were responsible. They were, they were stewards of the oracles of God. They were the people of God and they were designed to be a priesthood to all nations and there are all kinds of people from other nations who came and aligned themselves with Israel and they became Israelites as proselytes. But they didn't have it the way that we have it. The Holy Spirit came down on the day of Pentecost and has filled us and is already operating in the place where God would send us. We have this wonderful, wonderful, comforting knowledge that He's already there while he's sending us. He's already preparing while he's sending us. God beautifully works it together according to his wonderful and sovereign will. We don't know all that there is to know about that, but we just know that here we are and use us. We don't know why or where or whatever. We just want the unction and the open door and we want the spiritual power to be able to walk through those doors and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and watch God do his work. That's what we want to do. It's a beautiful and wonderful time in the time of the church. But the fulfillment, the filling up of the church is coming to an end. Even Christ talks about when the times of the, even the New Testament times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. The reaching out, the way that the church reaches out, that will come to a fulfillment. And then it will shift into another really different kind of gear. And as I see it in the revelation in the time of the tribulation, when, when the tribulation saints are saved, for the most part, it costs them their lives. Not all of them, but to a large part. So these these. These humble, suffering Christians, there in the modern place that's called Turkey, here they are, and they're been, being encouraged by Peter, who says, the end of all things is filling up. It's coming to a fulfillment. It's at hand. We ha you, you have to keep this in mind. You could use this as your own personal life. Your life is quickly being fulfilled. Let me tell you, all of a sudden you'll be 70 years old 
And you think, I didn't think I'd get here this quick. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't seem like I ought to be here. It seems like I ought to be able to run out and play tackle football. I'm good for one play. (laughs) That's it, man. One play. Even your life is being, this is what Peter's saying to them. Things are being filled up. And you're living out your life. So then, therefore, number one, be clear-minded. Number two, be serious, be sober. Why? For the purpose of prayers. I don't generally do this. I, I have on each of these slides, I included the Amplified Bible. When I study a passage and I'm preparing for a sermon, of course, I start with the original text and I go to the early manuscript, which is what I trust. And then I will take time and I will make my own translation. I'll diagram the sentences in the Greek. Then I'll go back and I'll look at the translations, which I trust and look at them. And then I look at the Amplified Bible because the Amplified Bible it isn't, it's sort of like a translation, but it is an expanded version of what's said. The Amplified Bible gives you what is said, but it also gives you an expansive meaning of the word or phrase. And it's pretty good. It's, I trust the Amplified. It's pretty good. Perhaps you've heard of the Lockman Foundation. The Lockman Foundation, that's the group that gave us the New American Standard Bible. And uh, they gave to us the Legacy Bible most recently. This was their first Bible to come out with the Lockman Foundation. Their first Bible was the Amplified Bible. And so this verse reads like this in the Amplified Version. The end and culmination of all things is near. Therefore be sound-minded and self-controlled for the purpose of prayer. That is, staying balanced and focused on the things of God so that your communication will be clear, reasonable, specific, and pleasing to him. Now, when you study, when you study the Greek words and you take the expanded version of the uh, translation of the various words, you really come out with a thought process that, that makes this verse look like this. I'm not telling you that this is a translation. But what I am saying is for me, it's a, it's a good addendum as far as study goes because I trust the Lockman Foundation. I trust the men who put this together so many years ago. And I, and I look at it and I ponder on how I had been expanding what my thoughts were on the passage as well. So I've, this week I've included the Amplified Bible in the, in the verse as well. But notice, clear-minded Um, disciplined-minded, focused, and sober. Literally, the word sober means not being intoxicated. It means be sober. Don't be drunk. Be sober. For the purpose of prayers. Prayers is in the plural. So it's a kind of a thing that you tag one onto another. You, uh, you specifically 
have one prayer after another. So what comes to your mind? What have you observed? How disciplined are you in your thinking and your observation and your worldview? There are, there is a plethora of subjects, things, people, work, whatever to, to pray about. You, you, you study, you look at the world and the culture where you are and the neighbors, the neighborhood where you live, just your life in general, where you are, how it is, you will see all kinds of things that either confuse you or upset you or distress dist- or even bless you. Pray, pray earlier in my life as a, a younger pastor, I I've always kept a diary. I'm not as good at it these days as I had been. I'd have these specific times of, of prayer and, and I'd get my list out and my, my, my prayer diary and I'd have where I believe God had filled my request and most of them said, God said no. <laughs> God said no. Uh, but it was sort of a structured thing. But I find these days... It remains a spontaneous thing. Man, I'm, I'm praying for the light to change. I'm, I'm praying for Bama to make a touchdown. <laughs> well, talk about redeeming the time and the days get shorter. I thought that game last night was never going to end. <laughs> I kept bobbing off. I thought, Man, I don't know how these guys keep playing football this late. You make these observations, and you understand it's built over a lifetime of Bible study. When you sit down and you, you absolutely believe without compromise that the Holy Scripture of God is absolute truth, you may not understand it all, but whatever it says, it's true, it's right, and if there is anything in this world that contradicts it, it has to be rejected in the heart and the life of a believer. It has to be. The more you read the scriptures, the more you become acquainted with the general principles of scripture and then, and then specific passages of scripture and so forth. And you see things and experience things that just don't meet the litmus test of what you've studied in the Bible. And sometimes you may think, I need to go back and look at a passage of scripture and make sure I'm, I'm not getting this wrong. I, I want to make sure that but this don't feel right. This doesn't seem right. So you pray about it. Just all uh, keeping a clear mind and a sobriety of, of heart and life and an, a disciplined mind for the purpose of prayers. Did you know the average Christian spends 45 seconds a day in prayer? I don't know what people pray. You know, it might be, oh dear God, let that person who honked at me 
fall off the edge of the universe or something. I don't know. But we spend 45, that's the average Christian. That's six hours a year. Six hours a year in prayer. Now let's face it. When Auburn and Alabama meet, there's four hours of prayer right there, right? (laughs) From various camps or whatever. But six hours of prayer. Now that is contrasted with the average, the same average person spending 90 hours a year shopping. Now to me, that seems brief. Well, I'm just quoting what it said. And a hundred hours a year, either participating in or observing sporting activities. Six hours a year prayer. 90 hours a year shopping. 100 hours a year playing games or watching games. Think about that. For the purpose of prayers, not just one prayer. The idea is that you just tag one prayer onto another. That, you know, the Apostle Paul said, pray without ceasing. It is that the deeper your walk with the Lord, the more complex and invested is your prayer life. Now, Peter writing to them, says to them here first, the end of all things is near. So he says, therefore, which connects, be clear-minded, sober for the purpose of prayer. That connects it with the first phrase in this sentence. Since the fulfillment, the culmination, the, the maturity of all things is at hand, then therefore. So you have a, a clear understanding of the brevity of life. I have only this time and that's all. I have no other time than what God has allotted me with regard to the number of my days and that's all. I'm in my generation and this generation will pass. About two or three generations, if the, I don't think the Lord will take that long to come back, but that's my view anyway. If I died today, my great-grandchildren would hardly know who I am or anything about me. It just, it, just, it just passes away. It's like a mist. It's gone. You remember the old short poem, Only One Life, Twill Soon Be Passed, Only What's Done for Christ will last for the purpose of prayers focused in this life on the relationship we have with God and the things of God and whatever we are able to do about it in our lives. Number two, above everything else, serve one another. Verses eight, nine, and 10. Above all, Keep fervent in your love for one another. The Lord said, they'll know you're mine 
because you love the brethren. Fervent is an interesting Greek word. Uh, it, it means, it, it actually describes a horse that's in full gallop. You watch the Kentucky Derby. And they get in that home stretch. They get in that final stretch. And, and the, the jockey on top of the horse, he's, he's whacking it and he's kicking it with its heels and he's giving it rain. And those things, those animals, those beautiful muscled up thoroughbred, they are straining with everything that they have to get ahead of the pack and to be the first one across the line. That's what the word means. To strain with everything that you have. To invest yourself completely and beyond yourself. Strain, strain beyond who you are in your love for one another. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Now that comes from that last phrase there, love covers a multitude. That comes from Proverbs 10. And Solomon writes, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins or all transgressions. Think about that. It's a cover-up. The love that you have to strain everything naturally within you sometimes makes you want to be a busybody or to confront somebody or whatever. There are times and Christ gives us how to do it. First one-on-one -on -one and then a small group and then the whole church. There are times when misunderstandings have to be worked out. There is never a time, however, when a person should have such a display of hatred in his heart and in his life that he would stir up strife. Contrarywise, love covers a multitude of sins. Be completely strained out as far as you can stretch in your love for one another. Now beyond that, be hospitable to one another. And that's an interesting word, hospitable. It's a, it's a word, philosophy. Uh, it, uh, philo, philo, brother, and a xenos is a stranger, a brother stranger. In the early church, of course, ends were kind of dangerous. People of a baser sort stayed at ends, and you didn't know if you were going to get beat up and robbed or whatever, and it wasn't people you'd feel comfortable being around. But Christians were encouraged, even admonished and exhorted to uh, take in brothers and sisters in Christ who were strangers, brother stranger, or a stranger brother, a brother stranger. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Don't complain about it. It's a, it's a privilege to be such a way. To be able to be hospitable to other believers. As each one has received a gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace 
of God. Boy, there's a lot of things are said here. First of all, everybody has a gift. Everybody in here who is in Christ. If you are a born again, bought by the blood, spirit baptized, Bible believing Christian, you have a spiritual gift. It most likely isn't the same gift of mine or someone else, but it's a spiritual gift. Now, that spiritual gift is to be put to use. Now, I believe when, when we are saved, our spiritual gift and service are included. And it's just a package deal and it works itself out in our lives. We should never... We should never combat the unction to serve brothers and sisters in Christ, to serve the Lord in church. No. The mandate is, as each one has received a gift, employ it in serving one another. This makes you a good steward, what? Of the manifold grace of God. Manifold. Of the manifold Pachilis. It The word means, actually it means many colored. It can be translated diversified, manifold. But many colored is its, and it's a, it's a jeweler type term. It speaks of uh, the colors of rubies or sapphires or whatever, emeralds, diamonds. We're being told here that if we work together like we're supposed to and we employ our spiritual gifts serving one another, some of us will be a ruby, some of us an emerald, some of us a sapphire, some of us maybe a diamond, I'm running out of words to speak of what jewels are. But anyway, when we all come together, it is gorgeous. It is a beautiful thing for Christians to work freely and happily and employ the spiritual gift that is theirs in serving one another in the manifold, in the gorgeous grace of God. This makes the church so attractive and so beautiful. This is what Peter wants for the saints who were there on the eastern side of the Roman Empire. Finally, speak and serve to glorify God. The glory of God. This is the basis of everything. The glory of God. People have all kinds of questions. Some of them are interesting questions. Some of them are not very rational. When it comes to how God works out his purpose in his creation. And I can tell you this. Since none of us are God, none of us can give the exact answer on such a thing. But we do have this trust that God's working it out. And at the end of all things, he will be glorified. Now, 
in the present life, in the present work, where we are. Whoever speaks as one speaking the oracles of God. Now the, the word logia, logia, it's not logos, it's not word, it's logia, it's, uh, it speaks of the sayings, the sayings of God, the oracles of God. Whenever we speak, we should be speaking as one who is speaking for God. Now, how can you do that? Well, you get, you get into your scriptures and you read your Bible. You don't, you don't float away from that at all. But you're able maybe to summarize vast portions of scripture or, or to quote scriptures Exactly, or paraphrase, whatever. You are speaking as though you are speaking for God. What a, what a privilege, what a joy, and what a burden to think that as we speak, we are viewed as speaking the oracles of God, the sayings of God, the things that come forth from, from God. Whoever serves as one serving by strength, which God supplies. So that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. God supplies the strength for service. Now, you know, some Christian service is very obvious. But this obvious Christian service as one exercises his or her gift does not make that person and his or her work any more important than the work someone else is doing. So many things that are gone, going on in the work of the Lord's church that so many of us don't ever see, but it's all being, all being worked out and we are serving by the strength which God supplies. I, I couldn't stand and preach in my personal strength. I, you can't do what you do for the Lord in your personal strength. And what that means is that God gets all the glory for it. You wouldn't be doing it if God hadn't resourced you and gifted you and then put you there and given you an opportunity. It's all of God. That he may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and power to the ages of the ages. Amen. His is the glory, Amplified Version says, to whom belongs the, the glory and dominion forever and ever. This whole thing finally leads us into the presence of Christ. And his is the glory and the power into all of the ages, into ages of ages. Astis eonis ton eonum. Amen. To the ages of the ages. There's this interesting truth 
that is unfathomable to us. Some infinitely glorious day. Beyond the great white throne of final judgment. There will be spoken into existence a new heaven and a new earth. I cannot imagine how that will be. But in that new heaven and the new earth, the language in the text teaches us that one age will collapse into another. Now, don't ask me to explain that, but it says ages of ages to the ages of the ages. And it's, it's, it's usually translated forever or forever and ever. But literally, it means, you think about this. We will never know all that there is to know about God because he is God and we are not. We are the creature, he's the creator. Our, our dimensions of time and space are limited to those where he's put us. His are unlimited. I, I can't understand or fathom, I don't understand it. But he belongs to everything, everywhere, all the time. At one time, he is I am. That's who he is. Now, we're all working together as glorified saints and we're working with angels and we're having a big time and we're studying God and we have, you know, we may have these deep discussions and we may think of things and go out and, and, and explore this wonderful new universe and come back and say, well, I put some stuff together. And I think we all agree. We all agree that we found out one new thing that we didn't know about God. And that may have taken 10 million years. The end of one age, the beginning of another, the ages of the ages that will never end, during which we will study the person of our Lord, our Master, our Savior, our Creator. What joy to learn, I don't care how long it takes, to learn the next thing about Him. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He came into this world to save sinners. If you're here today without Christ and the Lord calls you, you'll know it. Conviction is an unmistakable thing. In just a moment, we'll be dismissed from this room in prayer. As you exit, we have deacons and their wives just across the hall. You'll see them as you leave, standing in the doorways of a couple of rooms. If God is calling you into his salvation today, step right in there and let these deacons and their wives pray with you and lead you in prayer. Maybe you're here and you're already a Christian and God leads you to come and be a part of Shiloh. They are prepared to pray with you about that as well. But for now, prayerfully, would you stand all over this room and it will be dismissed from this service through prayer.